0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com I don't know if you've got... um. A friend, one of those friends that whenever you talk to them, it's just the same thing that they talk about every single time. And you love them. It's not that you don't like them, but they're like a one-trick pony, whatever. You know, whenever you see them, they just talk about the same thing. Maybe it's their car. Maybe it's their pet. I have a friend with a new cat. It's the cat all the time. Look at it. I hate cats. I'm not bothered. Um, Look, he's got a boyfriend. No, he really hasn't. Uh, He's a boy. Uh, You know, all all these kind of crazy, like all the time obsessed. Maybe it's a vehicle that they love. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's their kids. One thing only. They only ever talk about one thing. Well, this week um, it was revealed to me that maybe I have a one thing. And uh, it's hard to come to terms with. I wish it was that I just love to talk about the kingdom of God. And whenever I have a conversation with people, you know, they realize I just talk about Jesus all the time. I've got a friend like that. I don't think that's me. I wish it was that I talked about faith or, or prayer or worship. Or maybe I'm just so consumed with the love and the mercy and grace of God that all I talk about is that. It's none of those things I'm sorry to say. Sadly for me, it's protein, and uh, that's a a sad thing. Since I've been trying to train for this sponsored bike ride, I've been trying to lose weight and gain strength, and so I've been uh, just having protein. Uh, Nick said to me this week, would you like to have tea with us? I said, no, I'm just going to have the protein, and she said, I knew you were going to say that, because that's all I talk about, I took Willow out for pizza last night, and she said, dad, what will you have, and I said, no, no, I won't be having, I'll stick to the protein, and she said, you and protein, dad, (laughs) like me and protein, Like, like we're friends, like we met recently, I've kind of fallen in love with it, and I just can't get enough of the protein, and so how sad am I, what would it be for you, I wonder? What would it be for Jesus? Like if you read through the scriptures, what would it be that you would discern maybe the kingdom of God? Because you heard that a lot, but let me tell you what it is. It's actually money. Money is the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. More than salvation, more than prayer, more than heaven. Of his 39 parables that Jesus spoke about, 11 of them, Mention money. Teach on money. Teach us spiritual truths by using the metaphor of money. It's said that one out of every seven verses in the parables has got the word money within it. He seems to be money obsessed. It's his one thing. Speak to Jesus. He's going to mention money? Is it because he loved money? No. It's because he knew that it was a real part of the lives of those that he was meeting and ministering to. Money is the one thing that each of us will have in common. We may be very different, but the one thing that we'll all have in common is money. We all use it, and we've probably all been used by it. We all have a relationship with it. It might be a good relationship, or you might think so, or it might be a terrible relationship and something you find very difficult, but you can't avoid it. One of the TV programs that me and Nick love more than any other is Ben Fogel's Escape to the Wild. He is awesome. We like him. He's a bit posh, but that's okay. He loves to like journey and visit amazing people who have been fleeing the trappings of this world to live off grid to survive off the land. And we watch as Ben tours their beautifully hand-built like buildings, looking over beautiful vistas, amazing views. And we listen as he begins to explore their lives, of the trauma that they've faced that's caused them to want to make this radical choice to exit normal life. We love it. Wow, Ben, what a job. Is that the ultimate job ever? But at some point during the program, I begin to wonder. I begin to wonder how they buy the tools. I begin to wonder how these people who live off grid afford to put petrol in their car. I wonder about how they have enough cash to be able to buy food or occasionally pop to the pub to meet their mates. And then you begin to realize that although they've left the rat race of this world and they've relocated to a place of awesome, natural beauty to find their peace, they are still very much dependent on money. Either they're working their way through some savings or many times they've, they've left the corporate world of London and they've sold their one bedroom apartment for 1.5 million and they're using that savings to be able to pay their way. But the adventure will one day come to an end or they're having to make money somehow in order to make ends meet, in order to survive. We want to believe that all the food that they eat comes from the ground and they just get by but you know what it's really hard to pay for your internet connection with carrots from the allotment (laughs) we tried one time in no no we didn't you can't escape money how many times have you used it today how many times will you go on to use money you'll be heating your house for sure maybe you came in a car this morning you cannot Escape it. And this is why Jesus mentions it so often. It dominates our lives. It influences the way that we spend our time and it consumes our thinking. And therefore, it needs to come with some serious teaching. It needs to come with a few health warnings just to help us to navigate money. You know, it feels like money's probably been around forever, but it actually hasn't. Money, before money, people used to barter, negotiating with one another for what they needed. Goods and services were exchanged for other goods and other services. I'll give you a leg of lamb if you give me some rice, that's how it worked. But eventually, they thought of a more convenient way of doing trade, a way in which you know, things could be more, more easily dealt with, and so money was created. Goods and services were exchanged for coins or or pieces of gold or or something other than just the service or the good that you needed. And money was handy because it could be carried. It could be easily put in pockets. That's what pockets were invented for, I reckon. It could be stored up. It could be saved. It could be stored for years and years without going mouldy or rotten. But there's dangers to money being introduced, whether there was this equal system of of exchange, as soon as there's money involved, there are dangers. Yes, it can be built up, but it can also be borrowed, and money then began to mean power, and the more money you had, the more power you had. And then you've got the opposite in reverse, the less money you have, the less power. You have. In fact, if you feel like you've got nothing, you can often feel powerless. And then you can go one step further. Money can begin to make you a slave. Being owing money can make you feel like you're oppressed, like you're owned by somebody else. In the old testament, it was quite explicit that debt meant slavery. If you owed someone money, then you were a slave to them. You had to go work for them until the debt was paid. But it feels like even now, even though we don't go to be a slave for those that we owe money to, it can feel like we're locked in and oppressed by and restricted in our life by those we owe money to. You know, the average personal debt in the UK is £13,500. I'm not including mortgages. This is just personal debt. This is credit cards and loans and car repayments, £13,500. If we did an average of the people in this room, if we were reflective of the nation, that's how much debt we are carrying. 8.3 million people in the UK we've only got 60,000 of us and that includes 20, uh, 60 million of us and that includes 20 million kids, 8 million, 8.3 million of us are in significant debt. 2.6 of those million cannot afford the debt, the personal debt they're carrying. The average debt repayment that each of us is carrying each and every month, £172 we're paying out. You know what the uh, universal credit Amount is per person at the moment 334 pounds. Half your money for the average person is going out in debt every single month. If we were all to work hard they say that it would take us over five years to work our way out of debt if we just got by on the minimum payments It's a massive problem in our nation. You can see why Jesus warns us about money. Because it's not like I'm just exchanging things for what you can give me. We are borrowing into the future. We're hoping that tomorrow it might be easier. I had a friend who bought a sofa that she'd be paying off for the next five years. Like that sofa will be absolutely knackered by the time she's paid it off. And she's banking on tomorrow having enough money to pay for what she received yesterday. It's a concern. Debt enslaves us. I once recently had the pleasure of meeting one of our members from our, one of our grocery stores. We did an event at Christmas, like a Christmas celebration. And she was first in the queue. And she was so proud to announce to me when I asked her name. She said, all you need to know is I'm member 48." I was like, okay. She said, I joined on the first day. I joined your grocery because I was in spiraling debt. But she said, just yesterday, I became debt free. And I was like, overjoyed. You know, she was there to celebrate Christmas in love with Jesus, who turned her life around and taken away not just the debt of sin, but the debt in this life too. I was absolutely overjoyed, free and full of joy. You know, money never truly satisfies us. That's the lie, isn't it? That if I just had a little bit more, I once heard um, um, a guy who had done like this, this big kind of, uh, uh, what, what is it, like, um, uh, uh, like research into millionaires. Wouldn't we all love to have a million pounds? I've got a friend desperate to, to marry a rich man so she can be taken care of for the rest of her life. But there's this uh, piece of research, investigation into millionaires, What they, and they were asked one question, how much would you need? How much would you need to feel safe and secure, to feel satisfied and to have enough? And they all said, if I just had double. If I just had the same again, I would feel secure. And maybe it's not just millionaires, maybe each of us, if I just had Twice what I've got now, I would be satisfied. The lie of money is that we'll always, always have enough. But we always want more. We begin to believe that money means freedom. That money provides security. That money gives us joy and peace. That money makes life easier and better. And therefore, can you see that the things that I'm saying sound a lot like all that we should find in God? And therefore, you have to understand that money begins to compete with God in our lives for supremacy. Money can easily begin to rival God. Who has the greatest impact in your life? God or money? What do you yearn for more? God or money? What do you need more and rely more upon? God or money? Who do you love most, God or money? You're in church. You know the answer. The answer's God. In fact, it's Jesus, right? Let me just read you this definition of love. It's my first slide. Love is a set of emotions and behaviours characterised by intimacy, passion and commitment. It involves care, closeness, protectiveness, attraction, affection and trust. Love can vary in intensity and can change over time. It is associated with a range of positive emotions, including happiness, excitement, life satisfaction and euphoria. But it can also result in negative emotions such as jealousy and stress. This is a secular definition of the love that we encounter. And you might recognize it as romantic love. You may not recognise it as a description of how you view money, but let me just unpack this a little bit. Money does impact our emotions. I really like payday. I love payday. I hate the week before payday. It plays with my emotions. Money has the ability to affect our behaviour. Money is intimately involved in almost every area of our lives. Passion for it influences our choices. Our commitment to it affects our decisions. We care for it. We care about it. We keep it close. We protect protect it if we've got it. I heard a story recently about a millionaire, multi-millionaire oil baron with 700 acres around his land. And all around, dotted around his land was this Uh, each at every corner major security big fences all wrapped around it trying to hold on to what he had created for himself we're attracted to it we're affectionate for it we trust it we trust money more than we do God our feelings for it can be intense they can be positive Sometimes we feel happy and we feel excited. And sometimes we feel euphoric when we've got it. But money also begins to make us feel jealous when we haven't got it. And stressed when we are in desperate desperate need of it. But we say it's just money. Money. Money's not a person, so we can't just love it, and yet we devote ourselves to it. We're committed to it, and we can't live without it. The Apostle Paul writes to his young pal Timothy about its power. He writes to warn him, and in his first letter in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul says the love of money is dangerous. It's at the root of all kinds of different evils. Money itself is not evil, but from it, evil things will begin to grow, begin to pop out, begin to emerge and overflow all kinds of evil. Out of it will flow jealousy and envy and discontent. Out of it will begin to grow dissatisfaction and ingratitude. It leads to strife and to conflict. The number one cause of marriage breakdown is financial. It leads to dishonesty and to theft, to selfishness and greed. It turns us in on ourselves where we're supposed to be pursuing God and looking after others with a heart and a bias towards the poorest. It says, I am in greatest need. And saddest of all, the biggest evil that it leads to is that it turns us from God. It makes us forget him. As we look for satisfaction and pleasure and joy and peace and freedom in money, we no longer look to God to provide those things. God is overlooked. Paul goes on to write in the same verse, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs in pursuit of money, longing for it reaching for it, yearning for it, we wander from the faith. It's a disaster. It so easily happens, but we don't realize that we're doing it. The wandering off is not like a sprinting away from the faith. It's just a, a gentle wonder, maybe one degree at a time, we begin to turn away from God and all that he provides in order to find what we think we need within money. We just don't realise we're doing it. The slow drift, slowly led astray. Slowly led away from faith in Christ, from trusting in him, from dependence upon him, led away from reliance upon him, we begin to neglect God, that poor child. Paul says, Paul describes us as being pierced with many griefs. This isn't like a small prick of a needle. If you dig into the Greek, it's not like a small prick from a tiny thorn. It's not like having your ears pierced. It means to be skewered. I don't like the idea of that. To be impaled. It means to be put on a spit. Wow. This is what happens when we turn from reliance and faith in Jesus Christ to begin to talk, turn towards money like it's going to provide all that we need. We pierce ourselves with many griefs. Our soul is tortured. Pain and distress and I'm sure each of us will be able to testify to this in our lives. The worry, the worry, and the fear, and the anxiety that comes from not having enough. The stress, the discontent, and the dissatisfaction, the turmoil, and the insecurity. If I just had more, I would be safe. Here's what an old legend, Bishop J.C. Ryle says. Money, in truth, is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There is trouble in the getting of it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There there are temptations in the use of it. There is guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. There is perplexity in the disposing of it. Two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels and lawsuits in the world arise from one single cause, money. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus would say to his followers, in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you will be devoted to, the one, to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is the great rival to our God. It's competing with God for your affections. It's at war with God for your devotions. We wander from God because we cannot serve both God and money. We don't want to hate God, but our love of money turns us from him. Our devotion to money comes at a great cost. We let go of our devotion to God because we can't serve both at the same time. How do we therefore live in a world, a world where money is the norm? How do we remain devoted to God in a world that is devoted to money? How do we use money and not let it use us? How do we love God while having to work to make it, to pay our debts, to pay our rents, trying to survive in this world? Well, I believe the key Is faith. We believe what we believe impacts the way that we live. What we believe about God will make a difference to how we at work our daily lives. What we believe, what do we believe about the God we love? Do we really believe that God provides? We believe it, we say it with our mouth, we might come to church and declare it but do we truly believe that God provides? Do we have a God who's called Jehovah Jireh? Do we have a God whose name is the God who provides? Do you believe it with all your heart? Can you hold firm to this when you find yourself in need? Do you go to God first when you need help? When you're desperate for more money, is your first thought to pray? Luke 12 says this. Luke 12:22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about what you'll uh, and, and about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens; they do not sow or reap." They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Will you allow the worries of this life to consume you? Or will you turn to the Lord and say, help? Do we believe that God is generous? Psalms 84.11 says, No good things does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Do you believe that life is eternal and that the best is yet to come? Sometimes we get drawn into trying to make our best life now. If you go to a church that ever preaches that you can have your best life now, then they are anti the gospel. We've been saved for the best life to come. Let's hold firm to the promises of the gospel. I don't need everything in this life. I don't need luxury I don't need great houses in beautiful places. I've got all that to come and more. I get to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I get to sit in heaven and have all that he's provided. I'm told he's gone ahead of me to prepare a place, a room. I'm told he's the one that fills tables with delight. I'm going to have all the food and the best place to possibly live. But yet we live for this moment now. Like this is the best that we've got. That money can provide, corrupted as it is. I don't want to be drawn to that. I want to believe that I have gained eternal life in Christ and the best is still ahead of me. Do we believe that true life is found in Jesus and not in the world? Let's hold on to him. Sometimes we'll sing a song that says, Christ is enough for me. Christ is is enough for me? Really? Is it? Is he? Is Christ enough for you? If everything in this world was stripped away, you've heard the great stories of people who lose everything and yet are satisfied in Christ. And yet we find ourselves in the West so drawn to a world that all it can offer us is so far from the truth. Christ is enough. Glorious Saviour. We have a God who is generous. An eternal life ahead of us that He has made. And true life is found in Christ. Because John 3.16 says it. For God so loved the world that He gave the generous God that gives up His only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Life, fullness of life found in Christ and the eternal life to come. Do we believe it? When the going gets tough, when the money's run dry, when you're dissatisfied with the clothes that you have and the house that you find yourself living in, will Christ be enough? Do we believe that God is faithful, faithful in his provision? Isaiah 25.1 says, Lord, you are my God. I'll exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you've done wonderful things planned, uh, planned long ago. God is wonderfully faithful. What a brilliant description of our God. Wonderfully faithful. He's unfailing, unchanging. He can't let us down. And yet we try and find in money safety and security. If I just had a bit more, I would be comfortable. If I just had a bit more, God. If I just had a bit more of you, Christ how that would make a difference to the way that I think and feel. Do we believe that God is the good shepherd spoken of in the scriptures? David says it in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it sometimes gets translated, The Lord is my shepherd, I'll go without, I won't go without, I will lack nothing. But you know what? It's that I'm satisfied. Not that that's a promise that everything I need will be given to me. It's that I'll be satisfied in all that God provides because he's my shepherd and companionship and following him is worth more than anything that the world could offer us in riches. I believe that Christ is enough. I want to be like David who goes on to say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. I want a big portion. I love big portions. Of protein. Yes, lady, same mind. Boom. I love big portions. The Lord is mine, and he satisfies. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? Are we content in all that is found in Jesus? Maybe on a Sunday morning you'll say, "Yes, I can stand and declare that. Maybe I could have put all my belief statements up there. Let's read them out today as some form of liturgy, as a statement that we believe. We believe in a God who provides. We believe in a God who is faithful. Maybe we could stand and say it. But on a rainy Monday morning, when a bill arrives in the post and you've got nothing in your bank to pay for it, maybe a repair needs doing and you've got nothing left. Maybe this threat of death, uh, debt, not death, sorry. Gosh, that's another story. Maybe the threat of debt is looming large. Maybe those repayments are costing you and it feels like life is destroyed. Maybe it's the day before payday and the bank is empty. Can you stand with me on those days, on the difficult days, and declare the truth of who God is. And can you stand and say, he is the good shepherd who provides. He is my portion. Christ is enough for me. It's a really difficult song to sing. I have to really engage my brain when that one comes on. Sometimes I'm like, not this time. It's too hard. I need, to, I need some time, Lord. Can we just pause the song? I need to count the cost. Are you really enough for me? Maybe our prayer needs to be that prayer mentioned by Christ. I believe, mentioned to Christ, by someone who encounters him. He says, I believe, but forgive my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, of what it says in the scriptures about you. But right now, I need a little bit more. Help me. I want to hold firm. I want to trust you. I want to live by faith. I don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I want to be dependent on you. Help me to see your faithfulness. Help me to have faith and not fear. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be generous. Help me to see the plight of the poor. Oh, I had this amazing, I visited this church the other week where this lady was talking about um, how she came to know the Lord. I'm not even in my notes, but it's just come to mind. She was, she was super poor. She lives in Rill, which is the poorest neighbourhood in all of Wales, right? Really tough. She was talking about how she came to the Lord. Her husband had left her uh, after their daughter was eight weeks old. He left her with massive debts and left her for another woman. And she said one night she was warming her child's food over a candle her water had been cut off, her electricity had been cut off, she had nothing. Warming her child's food food over a candle, someone knocks at the door and says, have you got any food? She knew she had one piece of bread and one egg left. It's all she had. And in that moment she thought, they are of greater need than me. Even though it's the food she said, even though she knew that it was the food that she had for breakfast for her and her daughter, she gives up her egg and she gives up her piece of bread. And then she decides that maybe it's good if she gives up her child and gives up her life. So she's thinking about how she can pass on her kids and take her own life. And in that moment, she says, God, I need you. She's not a Christian. She cries out to the Lord and she says these words are blown away. She says, I don't need gold and I don't need silver. I need your presence. And she says, in that moment, the house began to warm. She said, physically, the house began to warm. And she said, uh, she, she said and then I, I felt like I heard God say, look out for the rainbow in the morning. It will be brightest for you. And she woke in the morning, she saw a rainbow on the floor. The rainbow on the floor in a kitchen. And she, she, you know, she thought it maybe was the light reflect, refracting through the, through the glass. And then she just like sees this rainbow begin to move and it walks her out walks her out down the street and she follows this rainbow along the floor and it takes her to somewhere that shows her about a job and she walks in and she said I like that job and they gave her the job on the spot and they said we'll take care of your daughter we'll provide child care for your daughter she said within four weeks she was running four shops the Lord provided and she said but I don't need gold I didn't need the God of gold and I didn't need the God of silver I needed God's presence and this is what we need I don't worship the God of gold. I don't worship the God of silver. I worship the God who's not rich in those things, although he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I worship the God who's rich in love, rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in kindness. I, tell, I see this in the scriptures. It's him that I need, but we need to cry out and say, Lord, send us your presence. It's a hard day draw me to your faithfulness show me your provision and help me to see that you're the God who provides be enough for me satisfy me God with the things that only you can satisfy me help me not to wander from faith to try and make a way for myself grow my dependence draw me to you Lord's